Welcome, everybody, to Season 4 of the Cannabis Minority Report podcast. Uh, it is NCIA's platform for our global majority, a.k.a. minority voices in the industry. So I am your host for Season 4, Michael Muto. I'm the DEI manager here at the National Cannabis Industry Association. And we've been creating a lot of great DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion platforms here within NCIA. Uh, this is uh, one of our flagships, and we're really glad to have you here with us for Season 4. Um, so, you know, what to expect from season four? It's a brand new season. As you can probably notice, we're on LinkedIn Live. This is our first season on LinkedIn Live. So really excited and interested to see how this platform works for us. We know a lot of our followers, a lot of our members are all part of the LinkedIn community. And we're looking forward to being a part of that with you as well. Um, so each week in season four, we will be interviewing an, an inspiring entrepreneur or canopreneur of color and report on the news either with stories specific to DEI in our industry or on hot button mainstream issues and providing our unique spin on it, of course. Uh, so season four, we also are going to roll out a, uh, a litany of co-hosts. We'll have a, a, a rotating uh, group of co-hosts that you'll see on with me every week. Um, not everybody the same week, of course. That's what makes it rotating. Um, and so we have a lot of great interviews lined up to this interview. I'm really excited for and we have a lot of great interviews coming up uh, the rest of this month, as well as next month as well. We've got a great uh, calendar of events for you. Uh, but today we have Chris Jackson, uh, the vice chair of NCIA's board, as well as the owner of the Basketball League's Oakland County Pharaohs based in Lansing, Michigan. So we'll come back with a great, um, a better, I should say a better, a more proper introduction of Chris in just a little bit. But first, we're going to go ahead and go with the new segment. So. For the news today, uh, got a couple stories here for you, and then some some really uh, I think interesting and unique news that is going to be what shows and makes our podcast a little bit different here. Uh, so the first couple of news stories. First, we have the making headlines: uh, the firearms and cannabis. Some of you have probably already seen this making headlines in the news. A federal judge in Oklahoma ruled that it was unconstitutional for um, the uh, for, for for marijuana users to basically be denied the right to own a firearm. Um, the quote I have here, uh, government could not argue Jared Harrison's mere status as a user of marijuana justifies stripping him of his fundamental right to possess a firearm. The judge said marijuana was not in and of itself a violent, forceful, or threatening act, and noted that Oklahoma is one of a number of states where the drug, still legal under federal law, can be legally bought for medical uses. So um, we're also expecting the Justice Department to appeal this, and this does stem from a Supreme Court ruling. What I want to say about this, you know, without getting into the politics specifically of gun control and everything that 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 can of worms can open up, um, I want to point out that this is really momentous in the sense of the cannabis movement because we're now starting to see the intersection between cannabis and other really hot button mainstream items. We're also seeing judges in you know a very conservative place ruling in favor of what the industry uh, would like to see as well, which is more rights for users of cannabis and not being stigmatized uh, along, you know, in, in ways that maybe Reefer Madness would have said. I mean, I think it was really key uh, to, to point out that, you know, uh, that use of marijuana is not a violent, forceful or threatening act, uh, whereas for the last hundred years in this country, we've pretty much criminalized it as if it were uh, a violent act. And honestly, we then over police a lot of communities because of that. Right. So seeing this shift, uh, you know, amongst a federal judge in a conservative state, in a conservative place, I think is is moving the needle. And now it's up to us as an organization and all the advocates out there to keep pushing this needle forward um, so that we keep having these kinds of conversations. Um, the next story that I wanted to lead with here today 
uh, and this is uh, keeping in line with uh, our guest today coming from the state of Michigan, is that Michigan is now number two. Uh, the only state that has sold, that sells more cannabis now uh, in, in 2022 uh, was California. California, of course, being a much bigger marketplace than the state of Michigan. Right. Um, but Michigan is number two. Chris, do you have something you want to add about this? <laughs> no, I think you just hit it on the head, actually. Uh, first of all, what's happening, man? Thanks for for having me uh, and bringing me in on the conversation. We got a lot, a lot of good things to talk about. But um, I think that's the point. You just mentioned it, right? California, I don't know how many times larger um, California is comparatively to Michigan. Uh, but, but for Michigan to, you know, we have a... a, a, a a vast medical history, all things considered related to cannabis, uh, but not so much in an adult use capacity, right? Um, just recently in 2018. And so I say just recently, that was a little while ago now. But uh, the point is we aren't as necessarily mature as a market as some of the others are related to adult use. Um, and, and really what it, what it says, in my opinion, I think we could talk more later, but what it says, in my opinion, is that um, it's a consumer's market. Uh, it speaks to the free market approach in cannabis, uh, opposed to the oligarchy approach in cannabis. And I, I mean, we can distinguish the two um, at any point. But um, it, it speaks to that and, and how consumers can actually be the beneficiaries. We talk a lot about businesses and, and their challenges or successes related to the industry, uh, but not enough about consumers having access uh, to the market the way that they should. And so I think Michigan, um, which is a joy to some and, 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 and not so much to others, right, depending on where you fall, but um, I think Michigan is setting a good tone for being a consumer's market. Uh, now we just need to figure out the business part of it, but I'm excited to hear that. It's a good yeah. moment. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I think that uh, you hit it on the head right there. Uh, you know, the, the oligarchy approach is, is prevalent in a lot of states, and those states are have fallen behind uh, what, what Michigan is doing uh, with much more of a free market approach, which is really, I mean, we're talking about cannabis and we're talking about the United States of America. Uh, we should see more of a free market approach. I mean, I, I'll say that. That that I will definitely uh, go ahead and add commentary. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, absolutely. Um, a couple other uh, points here I wanted to, to, to note. Um, you know, aside from the fact that $2.3 billion in sales last year was, was a good amount of sales. And to your point, it's a newer market, only a little over a year old, maybe two years old, something like that for the adult use side of things, but really a very deep medical state. Um, something else I want to point out is that the, you know, they are seeing, we are seeing fewer caregivers and, and that really refers to the medical side of the market, mm -hmm. um, producing cannabis since that, you know, it's no longer cost effective for their patients, especially with the adult use and prices have really halved. Uh, that said, I know that you and a lot of other folks are working on, uh, basically creating better business environments for, uh, the businesses to be able to capitalize on a larger market that is uh, forging ahead. So just something to note, you know, is that obviously, of course, not everything is always just positive good news, but we can look at it and see that there is a lot of great news there. And we just have to be, again, vigilant and adamant in our advocacy and how we figure out how to construct things in the right way. So uh, that said, um, you know, to, and, and a nod to, to Chris's uh, shirt here, Black History Month, um, I wanted to highlight a few uh, Black History Black history, a few black owned businesses in the cannabis space um, that um, and, and one of them, of course, from Michigan, actually, uh, following leaves. Uh, this is uh, Michael Webster has been a pioneer. You've been I'm pretty sure Chris has actually been a, at least one of these events, if not multiple. Um, 
as showing your support, uh, you know, in your vice chair position, but also really, in, you know, just being a leader in the state of Michigan. Um, Falling leaves, they're, they're infused dinners. And this next one coming up is going to be February 26th, Sunday dinner. I, I don't know about everybody here, but Sunday dinner has been uh, really a kind of a sacred thing for me for many years. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not religious. It's not about the religion for me, but it's about just being able to reset every week, being able to tap in with whoever I'm spending my time with on Sunday and really, you know, take time to to, to pay homage to the fact that we, we work hard <laughs> and that we have another week coming up. So Sunday dinner, it's going to be an infused dinner um, and uh, tickets and menus available. We'll, we'll, we'll post the link here. Uh, I did look at the menu and it makes me wish I get out to Michigan this month. Uh, charcuterie, short ribs, trout, and there's even a vegan menu. So, you know, so this is some great news to see this happening in the state of Michigan. Uh, and and really, I'm looking forward to seeing Michael bring this uh, elsewhere. And if you are in Michigan, um, um, I really encourage you to stop by. Um, it, it was, I've been to two of them now. Uh, so the menu keeps getting better. It's always been exquisite, right? Um, but the menu gets better. The experience itself is one uh, that I've grown to appreciate because it's a meet you where you are approach. Um, which is, is beneficial, particularly for the folks who are just curious about it and how it could impact them, right? I, 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 I'm generally not a infused edible intake person, right? I, I prefer the flower. Um, so it was an experience for me, though, and and they do a great job of not only explaining what you're eating, where you can find the the infused portions of the meal. But throughout that process, they'll, they'll you'll be here, then they'll break to bring you back down, right, in a responsible manner for you to then finish up um, over the course of you know, two and a half or three hours, right? And so um, it's one of those experiences where uh, not only do you have an opportunity to eat, uh, but you have an opportunity to really network and fellowship with the folks who are around you because that's a, a good amount of time to be in a space with other people uh, that are at different levels in life and or at different levels in terms of how they choose to partake with cannabis. And so it's a really cool experience. So if you're in Michigan, make sure you come out. That's awesome. There we go. So, I mean, and, and honestly, yes. Yeah, so, so Vince, our show's producer, first off, shout out to Vince Chandler here. Uh, this has been at the helm, you know, at the helm, I should say, you know, behind the scenes, really doing all of the grunt work to make sure that this show has been going for four seasons now. Uh, you know, amazing producer. I believe Vince is an Emmy winning producer, I want to say, of something or other. I know that he's gotten a lot of awards, and rightly so, because he does amazing work. And, and his work is really about advocacy and pushing the envelope in a responsible manner, not just in cannabis, but in other places as well. So really stoked to have uh, Vince as our show's producer. And, you know, I know you guys don't get to see him firsthand, but I really appreciate working with Vince all the time. There he um, is. There, there, oh, there he goes. All it right. Quick. It was quick. You had to be watching. Okay. Just there and there and there and back. Uh, awesome. Um, so I was going to say, oh, the reason I brought that up is because, uh, Vince, uh, maybe we can uh, pull a clip there and send that over to Michael Webster, because I think that was a great testimonial uh, and, and speaking to what uh, you can expect at one of these infused dinners. Um, tell tell so, Michael I'll be waiting on my paycheck too. You know, That's awesome, nice. There you go. Okay, some royalties there. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, all right, a couple other uh, businesses I want to make sure we highlight here: uh, Urban Flavors. Um, so, Urban Flavors is a delivery service in in Northern California. Uh, they're based in the East Bay. They also do some some business. I believe uh, you can you can order from them if you're in the central uh, Central California and the Central Valley as well. Um, but the reason I, I want to highlight them today. Uh, aside from the fact, of, again, that is a black-owned business, 
Um, you know, Mario Vital and Ladarius McKenzie are actually also new committee members uh, at the NCIA, uh, the DEI committee, uh, that's Mario, and the marketing advertising committee, that's Ladarius. Um, and I'm just really looking forward to seeing this company, which I think has been building things the right way for several years now, uh, be, you know, so engaged and be a, such a great part of our organization. Um, you know, the little snippets and pieces that I get to hear from uh, from, from actually John Quinn, uh, who's brought them into the fold, uh, is is this building the right way by listening to the consumer, hearing what their consumers want, uh, really knowing how to tap into the marketplace and building slowly and steadily so that they can be sustainable and be here for the long run. Another thing that's really uh, awesome about this company is that they're very passionate about creating pathways in the industry for formerly incarcerated folks and folks that have been impacted by the, the, the war on drugs in such a negative and disproportionate manner. Um, and, I, and I say that to say that, look, this is a company that's actually living and doing it. They're not just, hey, we would like to do this. And then three years later, they might have an initiative or throw some money at another company. This is a company, if you get to know them, that they're really doing that work in the community. This is how they hire. This is who they work with. This is you know who makes up the leadership team. So you know it's who they are. Um, so just the company that I want to make sure we highlight today, um, you know, with respect to Black History Month, but also just honestly with respect to the industry and the direction that we'd like to see things going. Um, and then the last company I wanted to bring up today, uh, Shakti Greenlit. Um, now, uh, this is I have the pleasure of working on, on the New York Social Equity Roundtable. Uh, and that's a that's a, an initiative here at NCA where we uh, provide feedback to uh, public comments for the regulations in New York. And we, we organize with a lot of other associations and organizations that are doing this kind of work in New York. Um, some of them are national, some of them are local. Uh, one of these groups, Black and Brown Economic Power in Cannabis, BB Epic, uh, is, is, was founded by and is run by um, a, a couple that I really uh, think are, are, are you know, making a great impact in this industry. Um, and uh, they have, uh, on the other side of things, they also have a product and it's called Shakti Greenlit Full Spectrum Cannabis Energy Shot. It's the first full spectrum cannabis energy shot on the East Coast. Uh, you know, to throw this out here, you know, and more, he put this on, on his own on the social media. So I feel comfortable stating this here is, you know, uh, he was charged as an adult at the age of 14 for the sale of cannabis to another minor. You know, I'm just going to say that again. This, this guy was at 14 years old, was charged as an adult for selling cannabis to another minor. This was very common, not only all over the country, but in New York, during, especially during the, the stop and frisk. Uh, era and, and even before that, before they even gave it a name. Uh, so getting to see this company now on shelves in Massachusetts, this company now, their founders doing the advocacy work. Again, this is the kind of work we need to see in this industry. This is the results that we're looking for in this industry. So it was really um, just just awesome to see them on the, all these shelves in the state of Massachusetts, looking forward to seeing them everywhere in the country. Uh, and they're all about the plant and the natural medicine aspect of that. So their products are going to reflect that. So I just want to kind of bring that up today. I think that, uh, again, it's another great, uh, you know, company to highlight. I will also note that none of these companies are, are, you know, they're not sponsoring us and trying to get us to, you know, just mention them here. This is, you know, if you are listening and watching this and you want, you know, to you have an announcement you'd like to make, uh, you'd like to tell us about your company, um, go ahead and reach out. I go. I went ahead and pulled these, of course, from my conversations and from you know, following LinkedIn and Instagram. But if there's anything you want to specifically have us highlight in the show, please reach out and we'll go ahead and do our best to get it on the show here. So that all said, I believe it's now time for our interview. Uh, so um, I want to know. Conversation. A conversation. It's a conversation. All right. There we go. All right. <laughs> and, um, you know, and that's just, you know, to, to the point, look, I want to introduce Chris here because Chris is somebody I've had the pleasure of working with for several years now behind the scenes at the NCIA. Uh, Chris has done a lot of just pioneering work and a lot of important work 
uh, you know, to, to really blaze trails here at the National Cannabis Industry Association. I met Chris, um, I want to say four years ago, something like that by now, at, uh, at an industry social that we had in Chicago. Neither of us, you know, we didn't know each other, didn't know who each other was, anything like that. We we're trying to figure our own ways out uh, within within this this massive industry and the, in, in the association. And, um, you know, several years later now, here we are continuing to work in these ways. And it's a testament to you know, the organization and, and their willingness to work with us, but also to the individuals such as Chris that have been pushing that envelope and saying, hey, you know what, we need to see better representation and it needs to be more than just nominal. It needs to be more than just, you know, on paper. There needs to be like voices in the room that are heard uh, on a regular basis. So it becomes organic, it becomes natural. And I think that's what we've really been able to create here. And, you know, Chris, I just really appreciate getting to work with you and getting to kind of see how you operate and are able to, you know, really achieve results uh, by doing this kind of stuff. So, uh, Chris, you know, um, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us here, and uh, I'm looking forward to you know having this conversation here today. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so let's see. I got a few things here. Um, oh, I should also note that Chris is the owner of the Oakland County Pharaohs, uh, based in uh, well, they were the Lansing Pharaohs last year. They now have moved to Pontiac, uh, Chris's hometown, um, to be the Oakland County Pharaohs. I got to go to a game last year. And it was a really awesome experience. Um, I had never been to a, uh, a, 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 it was it's the basketball league. So the basketball league, and I'll let Chris uh, tell, tell you more about this specifically, but, uh, you know, really professional league and just really awesome, high quality uh, level of play in a very intimate setting. It was really an awesome experience. Um, and, and we can talk more about that later. But um, the first thing I want to ask you, man, is, uh, you know, I, I haven't gotten a chance to ask you this on any of our other calls, so I figured I'd ask you this today. Um, but you had some interesting New Year's Eve plans or New Year's plans, I think. Um, oh. Curious to, to hear about kind of how things went for you. Yeah. No, it was it was cool, man. Um, I, I generally don't do much. Uh, it's like two times a year where I'm just uber reflective. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> where I'm just like in my own head. And it's, it's usually on my birthday and on New Year's. Um, and, and so, you know, made a conserv conservative effort to, to get out and do something, but do different types of things. And so we ended up, um, going to a, um, it was, it was a, a clue based, um, clue, like the board game based murder mystery dinner, um, which was, which was dope. Right. I, I would never imagine that I would do something like that. Uh, everybody had to dress in kind like one of the characters from Clue. So you just had like the wildest colors throughout the entire night. Um, and the timing matched up perfectly. It ended basically right as the ball was dropping to bring in the new year. So so that was a really cool, unique experience. And then shortly after that, went on the first cruise in my life, actually. So um, went to, uh, it was it was a Bahamas based cruise, so ended up going to the Bahamas, and I'm a history geek nerd for sure. So seeing the history of where all of like a lot of my favorite uh, you know, Viking slash pirate stories are Nassau and, and everything related to it. Um, I didn't mean to say Viking. I just finished watching the show about Vikings, but pirate shows in particular. Um, so it, it was cool just to have the experience. Um, I'm, I'm apprehensive about water. Period. Right. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, not the guy you're going to see in water a lot, um, but but it was a cool experience. And I, I recommend if, if you haven't taken time to yourself to just go do something somewhere else, um, not all the way remote, but but 
relatively remote just to refresh, take that trip in in, in, in this quarter um, if you can, because I, I think it just resets a lot of perspective going into what will be hopefully a great year for everybody. You know what I mean? Awesome. That's awesome, man. Thanks for sharing, man, and uh, and, and the encouragement out there, too. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of being on the water or in the water. Um, I, I do I do love being at the water. Uh, I love seeing yeah, the water. Right. <laughs> um, and, and I'm getting more used to being in the water, too. I mean, but uh, but yeah, the, the, the water is beautiful, but it definitely has some trepidation for me, too. I mean, it's yeah, it's water, right? Um, right. You can tell us uh, who you dressed up as uh, <laughs> for the clue. Uh, oh, no, Plum. Professor Plum. I did my own rendition nice. of a Professor Plum, so it was it was cool. It was cool. Maybe I'll I'll send Vince a picture. Maybe he can upload it. Sometime. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Absolutely <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So uh, all right. So so on a more serious note, man. Uh, you know, look, uh, vice chair of the NCAA board, right? I mean that that that's that's a that, that's quite an accomplishment just to, to get to that seat in the first place, right? And I know that it's it's taken a, a lot of years of, of navigating the organization. Um, can you tell us a little about, you know, kind of what that experience has been like for you, um, you know, either getting here or what it's like to be in this in the seat? Uh, I know this is going to be your second year, I believe, as the vice chair. And before that, you were, I want to say, the, uh, the secretary of the, of the board. So, right, um, right, right. yeah, tell us about the experience, man. Um, you're right. It is some navigating the organization, but it's also the ability to build tr trust amongst, you know, your colleagues and contemporaries, right? Um, and so first and foremost, like, I'm just super appreciative that folks trust me um, to be in a position to actually help steer where the organization is going, because that's what we're talking about um, in, in a nonprofit capacity, right? Um, to some extent, where, where you volunteer your time for something that you believe in. Uh, in this case, it's uh, an equitable industry for everyone to have access to uh, from a federal policy perspective, um, generally, and uh, to be trusted in a way where, you know, folks you know, say for better or for worse, uh, you're a part of the small group, right, the executive board that's really helping steer where we go. Um, it's, it's intimidating in a lot of ways, uh, but it's also the ability to put really, you know, your time, your effort, your money, where your mouth is. Um, and so, you know, when I joined the board, um, I can't remember how long ago it was now, but a couple of years ago, you know, at the time I had happened to be the first black male board member for NCIA. Um, and, you know, to Aaron's point, uh, credit, I should say to Aaron's credit, you know, he's made an effort uh, to to continue to make the board as diverse as possible, right? The goal is to have half the board at least be be women, right? And, and slowly but surely, we're getting uh, to that to that point. Um, having more people of color represented on the board, right? And so, um, then eventually came secretary, eventually came uh, vice chair. Uh, again, like a, a first and. It's a gift and a curse anytime you talk about first. And I'm really just expounding on this because it happens to be Black history. Um, it's a gift and a curse because you have folks that, you know, it's really on you to, to normalize whatever it is, whatever that thing is, right? In any capacity, a person in any capacity. How do you normalize what that thing is? And you're not going to, you know, everybody isn't going to be supportive, Right. Um, you know, some folks are going to criticize far more than they offer solutions, no matter what. Um, but there are others that 
that do support you, obviously, for you to be in that role to begin with. You know what I mean? And so it, it was a fortunate and a blessing in a lot of ways because we're finally getting to that first. Um, and then a curse because why are we taking so long to get to certain perks? Right. <laughs> um, and, and so for, for me, um, being a first is fine because, you know, I ran for public office at one point, if you remember, and there is nothing like, I think I've said this before, but there's nothing like seeing in black and white that 50% of the people, you know, I only lost like 40 votes in the election, right? So super close. 50% of the people either dislike you, like somebody else better, or don't know who you are at all, right? And, and I, I usually think it's the latter, right? Most people just don't know you or have access to you. Um, and so in that capacity, I always think it's in black and white, but there are another 50% of the people, theoretically, that do support you, that want to see you in, and that believe in the things that you bring into the table. Um, and so the, the the mission, regardless of how it shakes out any time that you're put in a certain position or in this capacity, is to do what's best for everybody, despite how somebody may or may not feel about you. You know what I mean? Um, and so... In homage to Black history, that that's the point, right? Is is, and, and by no means am I comparing myself to any of these individuals. But when you have folks that break certain barriers, like the Frederick Douglasses of the past, right, or, um, or or the athletes that that break certain barriers and become the first Black or first fill in the blank, um. Not everybody's going to believe in you or support you, but you just got to believe that you're doing the work and, and then let the legacy kind of play out however it plays out. But hopefully you leave more opportunities for folks um, than we had before. And so I think we'll get to this question probably, but we're in a place now where, um, you know, we are intentional as an organization about equity, not only in our organization, but equity in the industry. And, and we're starting to see how that plays out. No, I appreciate that, man. Appreciate all the context and and really the again, you know, I think I think you used the word pioneering, but you know, I, I'm definitely going to use that here is the pioneering that you've been doing, um, because to your point, uh, you know, it, it and throwing this out here for encouragement for everybody else too that's in these kinds of shoes because you know you, you the folks listening here, you may be the first in something that you're doing, right? right. And you know, this is cannabis, so there's a lot of firsts happening, and we need to lean into uh, these kinds of stories and into each other. To recognize that you know it, it is hard, and uh, you know the, the pine. I think there's the expression: the pioneers are the ones that ended up with the arrows in their backs, right? And you know those arrows could be from you know th their allies, even right? Because sometimes, to your point, they don't your allies don't always know, or they don't think that you are aligned, and so uh, that's where a lot of the daggers come from, a lot of the arrows come from, a lot of the slings. Uh, so you know, I think that it's something that we all need to galvanize around, right? Um, and, and you mentioned you know at the organization. The commitment and the fact that we are moving that needle you know i would just want to take this opportunity to just mention a few of the initiatives that i think uh have really started to move that needle right one of them being our equity scholarship program our social equity scholarship program um we we launched that about three plus three four years ago now and we've seen the results right we've seen uh that we have now some, some of our most engaged members have come through this program right and it's not about oh there are social equity members or anything like that oh no it's like these are nci members uh, they sit on committees. Um, I think we've had uh, a couple of these members join the board, um, you know, and and have been able to make an impact and contribute to all the different dialogue and conversation we're having. So it's not just 
up to you to then advocate on behalf of, say, all black people within the organization and by proxy of the industry, right? It has to be on everybody to work together. So, um, but it still takes somebody being that first person to kind of get out there and say, yep, I'm going to go ahead and take that, take that initiative and uh, be willing to take all the criticism that comes along with it and all the trepidation and everything else. So really, I uh, appreciate you, man, as always. Well, and, 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 and let me give credit where credit is due because the, the, the my thought process is I'm, I'm the first in a particular capacity, right? But there are folks who, you know, in, in this in this legal framework that we call the cannabis industry today, right? I'm the first in this capacity, but there are obviously people who we can name, um, that we shouldn't name, that we, we we can't name, right? Whatever the case is that are our legacy players, um, that, that have really been the trailblazers that have just allowed for the opportunity. I, I think anyone that grew up in inner city America, or even not, but particularly in inner city America, um, has been uh, affected negatively by the war on drugs, you know, whether it's cannabis or otherwise. Um, and so, but there are folks that quite literally crawled, right, <laughs> um, so that we can have the opportunity to have the conversations that, that we're having right now. And so it's not lost on me that there are people who, um, organizations, individuals, et cetera, that have been doing this type of work much longer in different capacities that, that even you know, giving me the opportunity to have this open conversation with you uh, and the folks that are listening. So I pay homage um, and, 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 and appreciate those folks but you know now the question is okay now that I'm in this capacity what can I do to make the best of, of the time that I have to you know, hopefully make things better than when I when I came you know what I mean so absolutely no and, and I think that you know um, I know that our listeners are probably already aware of this but I'll say it again because this is the platform we have is that there's still too many people in jail there's still too many people that have not seen uh, you know their their social equity after serving their time. Um, whether that was uh, prison time or whether that was simply being in a community that was just over-policed and, and all the trauma that comes along with that. And so, you know, that's the the envelope that we're trying to push and and just, you know, appreciate you paying homage and recognizing that, that that is the case. And we have to keep being reminded of that, reminding each other of that, because we can't forget that. I mean, the reality is, is that the industry being set up, uh, we mentioned earlier, $2.3 billion in Michigan, uh, and there's still people locked up in I'm guessing in Michigan, but uh, I know in other states for sure. Yeah. Uh, so you know, um, it, it's 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 crazy. Um, yeah, federally, I think the number was 2,700 or something like that, right? Um, yeah, and that's so, just the federal, right? And most people are in state. Uh, so that's just state federal. Is, right? That's just exactly. federal. Yeah. 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 So it's it's uh, it, whatever it is. Any 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 until we have uh, you know nobody uh, in prison and, and really, you know, again, to your point, I think you also hit it on the head there too. It's not just cannabis, right? It's not just cannabis. The war on drugs hasn't just been about cannabis. Right. Um, and the war on drugs, as we all know, was, was is, has been fueled by billions of dollars, uh, of an agenda, of a political agenda and, and a social agenda. And so, you know, it's something that we need to always be vigilant about. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Um, so, uh, well, I mentioned Michigan. Um, let me go ahead and, uh, you know, curious to know, you know, you do a lot of advocacy work in Michigan. Um, I know that you work with or worked with, um, you know, and maybe you can tell us exactly the, the name of the, or, the the group that you work with, or if you still do, uh, but providing kind of like social equity um, uh, advisory for the state as they continue to roll out the regulations and evolve that. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about kind of what's going on in Michigan? I know Detroit's constantly making the news with, you know, all the different uh, lawsuits and stuff. 
Um, so, you know, yeah, can you tell us about what's going on in the state of, of Michigan, especially when it comes to to social equity? Yeah, so um, first of all, grateful that Michigan has a social equity program, right? There, there are some states that don't. Um, and some that if allowed not to have one, they won't right now. I'm not saying that any equity program uh, in, in, in any state is perfect. I don't think that it is. Um, and, and, and frankly, there are some people who uh, don't want to necessarily be a part of a social equity program, right? They just want equity, period, related to the industry, um, which I can appreciate as well. I, I think what the social equity program does do in any state is it at least acknowledges a foundation upon a platform that equity can be built on, right? Um, that's the goal because I don't care how good or bad the, the social equity program is, if there are individuals, not individuals, if there's policy that says you have to consider equity in some capacity, that's better than we've had in any industry that's ever been created, <laughs> I think, to my knowledge, in America, period. You know what I mean? Um, so it's a good stepping stone in terms of, of starting to build an infrastructure. With that said, a couple of years ago, uh, there was a situation where um, the equity program at the time, uh, the now CRA was the MRA here in Michigan, the Marijuana Regulatory Agency, uh, at the helm at the time was Director Brisbo, um, who's moved on now. But he acknowledged that the, the, the social equity program hadn't been as successful uh, towards you know, minorities, people of color having opportunities, primarily because different states don't allow for the, the direct assessment of or, or, or the direct ability to insert ethnicity into to policy, right, per the Constitution. And so at any rate, he put together a racial task force work group. It was about 20 to 30 folks from across the state of Michigan that provide their perspective on, based on current policies, how can we make this more of an equitable industry, period. So we ended up coming up with 16 or so recommendations that we offered to the MRA, now CRA. And, and some of those things have been implemented, right? Um, in particular, there was this micro license in Michigan or is a micro license in Michigan that's very similar to a craft brewery. I'll save you the details, um, but vertical integration in a smaller footprint. But we basically said, well, this isn't a viable business option. Let's introduce another micro license type that could be more viable um, for folks that will likely end up being social equity applicants or people of color who are going to go after these licenses to begin with anyway, because not only is it more of a viable business, but it's more affordable in terms of starting a business in the first place. Right. Um, and so that was just one example of, of, of many that, that we introduced continuous education programs coming down the pipeline, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I now sit on the diversity, equity, and inclusion continuous work group with the CRA where we, not only talk about the projects that they're working on, but more importantly, they, as they introduce a rule or a new policy or a new regulation or whatever the case is, generally it flows through all of the work groups, right? In the lens and the context in which that work group exists. Um, 
So we always now have an opportunity to provide perspective on whether or not we feel like this would be in the best interest of of of, of equity folks, right? Uh, or if it wouldn't. So, um, you know, that's just to name a, a few things that, you know, you would see on paper. Um, but the, the main thing for me is, and, and this is this is how I've started to shape things because folks will get mad, right? If if their priority isn't your priority in the context of equity. And we all have very different lens on, on how we should approach equity, period. Um, some things we agree on, some things we don't agree on, but all of those things probably, if you, you know, assuming assuming everybody thinks that there should be equity, right? Um, there's an opportunity to to say, look, your priorities are just as important as, as mine. And it's not to say that your priorities aren't my priorities. They just may not be as high of a priority because I feel like I need to work in this, this area based on my goals, based on my skill set, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think the closer that we get to appreciating people's priorities, but understanding that we need everyone to do what they're best at in order for this to work in the first place, I think we'll be much better off across the board in terms of what equity looks like um, across the United States, but particularly in Michigan in this case. So. Awesome. I no, appreciate that, that context and that, that breakdown of things. Um, I think that, you know, uh, it's an, again, a nod to the importance of um, having that many voices in the room. You know, Brent, you said, as you mentioned, you know, 20 to 30 people they brought together. Um, the, you know, now the, the working group consists of several people from across the state. Uh, yeah. So you get these different perspectives of folks that have different priorities and everybody gets together and is able to kind of hash it out and try to figure out how we work towards uh, one common goal, which is equity in general. Um, I'm, I'm going to use this as, a, as an opportunity also to kind of throw a plug in for some of the work that we've done in New York. Uh, we we um, And this, actually, this came from uh, uh, Eric Foster from Minor uh, Minorities for Medical Marijuana, mm -hmm. who I believe he worked with in, in Michigan on this. Mm -hmm. um, but he, you know, we we submitted a, a recommendation to the office of cannabis, can office of cannabis management in New York recently, advocating for a separate, uh, you know, a board, a separate advisory board or committee, um, along the lines of what you've done in Michigan, uh, because we believe that in New York, where they are also making strides for equity, uh, and they have their cannabis advisory board, there's also space within the regulations to have, uh, you know, one that focuses specifically on this racial equity, on the social equity, whatever we want to, you know, call it, so to speak. Um, and so that's something we're advocating for and, and hopefully, hopefully pushing for because I think we've seen the results uh, in the state of Michigan. I think your group also was responsible for helping to push forward um, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the waiver uh, this year on some of the, uh, the, the, re, the licensing fees for folks that maybe haven't been able to get the, I, I can't remember what it's called, but the pre-operational. Exactly right. The, yeah. the, the pre-qualification process, right, instead of having to repay because of um, – cities like Detroit ran into the legal issues that they ran into because you have folks that want to, for lack of a better phrase, cannibalize the industry for themselves, right? Um, you know, basically there was a push, you know, not just our group, but multiple groups, right, that pushed for the ability to not have to spend more money um, as an equity or a social equity qualifying applicant to have to re-up when I didn't have an opportunity in the capacity that I thought I wanted to have in the first place, right? Um, right. And, and to your point, it's just a logical, small thing that, you know, it's the state of Michigan if or CRA or whatever, if your goal is to indeed uh, promote equity in the grand scheme of things, then this would simply be a money grab because the amount of money that a social equity applicant would have to pay 
uh, pales in comparison to what you get from these other license types, right? So anyway. No, I appreciate that. And and it's, again, a nod to the fact that in our industry, we do see advocacy working in a very different way than we've seen in other industries. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the, 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 the regulation that you're talking about, you know, NCA, we co-signed a letter on that, right? We, we, we yeah. said, hey, you know, we go ahead and, and, and that was something that, you know, Chris, as a member, uh, not because you're the, the chair of the board, vice chair of the board, had come to us and said, hey, this is something that, you know, you, you ran by our DEI committee, our DEI committee approved it. And I'm saying this out loud right now because we've done this with a few other folks, too. And I just want to really always put the opportunity out there for anybody. If you are in a, in a, in a state or a municipality where you could use some regulatory support, uh, as an organization, we will go ahead, we'll take that in, we'll run it by whatever committee it needs to be run by, and then we can go ahead and give a stamp of approval, so to speak, or a cosign and a letter. And, you know, I'm not saying that that is going to make the end all, but I know that the more that we can support, uh, the better. So, you know, again, you're not out, if you're listening to this, you're not on your own. That's what our organization is for, right? It's to come together as a whole group and everybody might have different priorities, uh, but hey, we can also get behind other people's priorities too, when it makes sense. So um, just throwing that out there. Um, so shifting gears a little bit, uh, looking forward, right? Looking ahead, uh, yeah. you know, you have a pretty good finger on the pulse, especially in Michigan, but also really the rest of the country from the work that you do with with the NCAA uh, and some of the other projects, I'm sure too. Um, what do you see coming on the pipeline in the next twelve months, the next several months, as far as opportunities, as far as regulatory changes? What are you thinking? What's the landscape out there looking like? Yeah, so I, I think it's everybody's best guess when federal legalization happens, right? I don't think anyone quite knows. Probably a couple of people, but not many. Um, but based on some of the deals that we've seen with big pharma, you know, pharmaceutical companies and, and tobacco companies, it's probably closer than we anticipate. So anytime you start to see acquisitions starting to happen at this level, um, you better believe it's something getting ready to happen at, at the federal level. However, you know, it's our, our best guess to, as to, to when it happens. I actually think um theoretically it could be a win for republicans theoretically in the house in particular um to continue the push and the senate actually getting the job done too uh because it's it's a win for everybody which is in, in different capacities when you have like the bank associations right basically coming together and saying this is a good thing for the industry to at least pass this piece of legislation and then add the rest later um those are constituents that matter to them, I think, far more than their, their, their cannabis constituents. And so in theory, I think there is an opportunity there still. But um, I, I'll, I'll say this much. I, I think we're getting to a point where you know one of a few things have to happen. Right. Either you have perfect timing, meaning and this is you know, if, if you were to ask me what I what I would give advice to um, an equity or, or, or minority person person of color that's trying to get into the industry you got one of a couple of options right you you can either it's, it's perfect timing which doesn't exist obviously but based on where your state is based on the recession as a whole um there are some folks who are successful but by and large there are a lot of people who aren't <laughs> particularly in michigan right now um and so letting the the economies of scale just kind of happen Right is 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 one aspect of it. Um, I would say the other aspect of it is if you open up right now, your goal is just to survive. Right, like the, the 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 goal is to survive until right you come out of this recession slash federal legalization starts to move, because then I think you'll start to see some tax relief, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
Um, and then the ability to differentiate, which obviously comes with a caveat because you probably need resources in a lot of ways to be able to differentiate from everybody else. Um, on the other side of all of the conglomerates coming in and, and, and buying up all of these businesses, which I think we anticipate, um, there will be room for your mom and pop shops to exist, right? Um, there's going to be an opportunity for small business owners to thrive, I think, in a craft capacity, particularly when conglomerates are, are a lot like fast food restaurants and they only have three or four brands that we know across the state or across the country. Folks are going to be looking for local options and, and, and local community to be a part of. And I think that's when your small businesses are really going to have an opportunity to, to, to thrive and shine, particularly when we talk about placemaking, right? And the ability to put similar types of businesses in the same vicinity or capacity um, and then create community experience, entertainment out of it. Um, I think inevitably that's where the industry is going. It's just a matter of are you a part of the right type of business model to be able to sustain long enough to to see the success afterward. I appreciate that. Um, and I think that, you know, what happened in California recently with, uh, you know, it's blanking, I'm blanking right now, but I know a couple of the big, uh, the big MSOs uh, pulled out of California recently uh, yeah. because uh, to your point, you know, they saw the writing on the wall that the craft space is strong. Uh, small cannabis businesses, mom and pops do have a lot of potential in this industry. Uh, and so they kind of said, hey, you know what, California, let's go ahead and let you guys do that. <laughs> um, and I think that, you know, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll go to the oligarchy states <laughs> like exactly Florida, right. like in right. Illinois, like, I mean, we should really just call all of them out. And to that point, um, back to the free market versus the oligarchy. Um, so when I said earlier, the, the, the free market approach in Michigan um, is is problematic for some. I think what you're finding is some states are asking for moratoriums, right? Where they put a pause on licensing to allow the industry to get back to. And look, if I were one of those people, I understand you have to protect your business interests and you have to protect your investors' interests, right? So I get it. Um, however, it's funny how some folks are free market until they don't want to be free market anymore, right? So in any other industry, when you want to find your way into the market, you're pro-free market until you're on the other side of it. Um, in Michigan, I, I fall on the side of free market. If you if you haven't been able to notice, I fall on the side of allow the market to do what it does because there are a lot of larger businesses that spent a lot of money really early in the process without anticipating what was going to happen. I, you aren't, you know, you, like I don't even think the big three should have been bailed out, but you aren't the big three in this capacity, right? Like you're a cannabis company at the end of the day. Um, that's on you, of course. Fight for the moratorium. I get it, but um, anybody, particularly the, the conservatives that these folks are trying to go get on their side, um, why would you go away from free market when the market is ultimately going to correct itself at some point? You know what I mean. Uh, so anyway, I say that to say, um, while there are going to be some people who suffer because of the free market, um, I think it's a much better approach because at the end of the day, it still allows other people to have access to the market. Absolutely. Um, so anyway, I'm off. I appreciate that. that. No, I, I think that you know, just to, to throw in this, and then we're going to take a, a quick break before we come back for our game, uh, which we have a, a new segment, uh, which is a game provided by Vince Chandler, of course, um, that we'll be doing uh, every week now. 
but before we go to that, just the last thing I'll say on this with the free markets, and, and to your point, uh, a lot of folks are all about free market until they themselves, uh, you know, would benefit from not being a free market. All of a um, sudden, right. Yeah. All of a sudden, right. Um, I think it's something to point out here, and this is the Cannabis Minority Report, is that I believe strongly that minorities and folks that have had to deal with being figuring out how to be more innovative in general because they maybe yeah. have less resources, maybe have more regulations against them, um, stack deck, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, would benefit greatly from free markets. And so a lot of the times, you know, anti-free market policies are actually anti-minority policies at the same time. Um, so, you know, it, it's interesting because in a lot of states where we see this push for equity, but they're actually pushing against free market, it's antithetical. Uh, because how can you have that when you're actually helping to make sure the folks that have been marginalized continue to stay marginalized in those new license structures? Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll save the rest of that conversation for a later date. <laughs> um, but yeah. uh, let's go ahead yeah. and uh, we'll take a break real quick. And then we're going to come back with uh, a fun game here uh, with Chris. Uh, test your knowledge about some uh, some stuff from around the country going on. And, uh, yeah, we'll be right back. Uh, Vince, take us away. Well, here at the National Cannabis Industry Association, we have proudly represented small businesses across the cannabis industry since 2010. We represent Main Street Cannabis, not Wall Street Cannabis. We have come so far in this fight to legalize cannabis that it seems that it's almost inevitable and we're the ones making sure that as those rules are written, they favor small businesses, mom and pop operators, and Main Street Cannabis, not Wall Street Cannabis. In addition to making sure that your voice is heard at the federal level, being a member of NCIA also means building a vibrant community of small business owners within the cannabis space. Because we can always learn so much better by working together, learning from our mistakes and our successes, and building this industry together. So if you're interested in making sure that small businesses and Main Street Cannabis has a seat at the table, be sure to join NCIA at thecannabisindustry.org. All right, so welcome back. Uh, we have a great game here. Before we do that, we're going to answer a question real quick. Uh, how long do you think it will take states like Illinois to open the market for small farmers? Do you think it will take interstate commerce beginning? Uh, so I can't speak to how long I think it'll actually take because, you know, it's Illinois. And if you're from Illinois, you understand the politics in Illinois, uh, you know, can, can be very uh, interesting. We'll, we'll leave it at that again. We don't have a whole hour to discuss just that. But what I will say is this, is that... Um, you know, there are a lot of groups in Illinois, like the Cannabis Equity Illinois Coalition, uh, like I believe there's a I can't remember the name of it exactly, but there's a Craft Growers Association in Illinois. Um, so being involved with those organizations uh, because they are pushing for the inclusion of smaller farmers, smaller businesses and minorities in the industry of Illinois, uh, they'll be able to help you, I think, navigate to answer that question a lot better, but also, you know, help you kind of figure out how to navigate and, and plug in. Uh, to be able to navigate, uh, to, to advocate together. So that's the plug I'll throw out there. Um, and, you know, I know I'm avoiding the answer directly, but, you know, Chris, if you have anything else you'd like to add. Well, yeah. So, so to that point about interstate commerce beginning, um, I, I think once that happens, right, theoretically, it puts pressure on states um, to allow a more free market approach, right? Because then you're relying on, 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 on your business to produce enough economy in cannabis to actually pay taxes to that state, right? Now, of course, you end up taxing the folks that are, are export or import in this case. You you end up taxing, like, so let's say, you know, if I had a, a grow in Michigan or a, a cultivation company in Michigan and I want to come into the state of Illinois, that would obviously force, if I'm licensed, it would force some sort of, of tax from Illinois' perspective. Um, However, 
particularly in a state like Michigan, that's an import state versus an export state. Traditionally, right, it's going to be up to our governor to really protect the businesses that are in the state. Right. Um, so whether it's tax relief and or allowing for more licenses um, so that you don't get the um, reputation for being a, a state that only allows brands from outside of your state to come in related to the market. So I, I think um, maybe maybe it's not interstate commerce specifically, but definitely federal uh, legalization and or 80 um, percent of the states taking on some shape, form of, of, of legalizing cannabis. Um, whichever the two happen, I think it's going to put pressure on other states to to open up as a more free market approach. Awesome, a much much better answer than mine. <laughs> Although I, I, I yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, a guess, but definitely, <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely, uh, definitely. Still check out those organizations. Uh, CEIC uh, is a great one uh, if you're not already familiar with them. Um, all right, so a couple. So our game. So quick question is the name of the game, and um, yeah, I have two quick questions actually for you. Uh, and I know we got to wrap up here. Uh, so the first question, uh, it, it is widely known that California's adult use market faces an uphill battle in both enabling legacy cultivators to enter the legal industry, as well as for having a litany of laws and regulations creating an overburden on registered operators. One such example, especially given California's laid back reputation, involves the legal transportation of cannabis. Which of the following options could a California cannabis company legally use in their business to transport to transport their product. So which of the following options could a California cannabis company legally use to transport their product? A boat, a skateboard, a self-driving Tesla, a commuter train, or none of the above? <laughs> I, I mean, so a skateboard would be dope, but I'm going to say none of the above. Okay. Well, a skateboard would be dope. I know Vince is going to like that one. Vince has a nice branded uh, NCAA, uh, uh, you know, skateboard that he's got there. Um, actually, the answer is a self-driving Tesla is allowed so long as it is operated the entire time by a person. It is illegal to transport any cannabis product by way of an aircraft, watercraft, drone, rail, or or human-powered vehicle like a boat, like like a motorcycle, uh, not a motorcycle, like a bicycle or a um or a skateboard. Um, but a uh. A, a, a trailer or a vehicle that is, even though it's it's motor powered, um, still manned by a human being, that's allowed. So the Tesla, the self-driving Tesla is allowed. So basically, in other words, I think what Vince is telling us, you have to have a lot of money uh, in order to be able to to transport product uh, legally in the state of California. Um, and that's for now, because you know, Amazon hasn't started lobbying yet, right? So. Right. Right, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but the skateboard, that would be interesting. That would be funny. Um, and bicycles, I mean, geez, like you'd think that they'd let us uh, do things in that sustainable manner, but we digress. All right. So the last question here, uh, and this is, uh, we didn't get to talk too much about at all, really, about your Oakland City uh, Pharaohs. Um, and I believe you did get the um, executive of the year last year in the entire the basketball league, which is like, um, you know, a minor league uh, of basketball, uh, you know, a, a league here. Um, so um, let's see. Uh, oh, where did the question go? Oh, here we go. So switching gears here, um, you know, so minor league teams get to be a little bit more experimental with their names. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to present a few questions, a few team names here, and it's up to you to guess which one is not a real minor league baseball team. Okay. Okay. Uh, all right, cool. So I got four names here. Uh, we're going to go through them. So the Florence Yalls, Y apostrophe A-L-L-S, the Florence Yalls, is that a real team or not? Oh, you're asking me? I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna go through each one. I'm gonna quick. say yeah. we say y'all a lot in the Midwest, so I'm gonna say yes. It's a real team. Okay. All right. 
the Hartford the Hartford Yard Goats. Is that a real team or not? Yes. yes. <laughs> okay. The Colorado Springs Chimera. No. Okay. And then the Rocket City Trash Pandas. Oh, it's it's so wild, and I'm gonna say yes. Chris it, nailed all, all four actual of them. teams. You got you got all four of them. You nailed it. The, the one that is not is the Colorado Springs Camara. The Rocket City Trash Pandas do exist. The Hartford Yard Goats. I still I wonder what the hell a yard goat is. <laughs> um, I have no idea. <laughs> right, the Florence Y'alls. How is y'all a mascot? Like I, I want to know what the mascot is. What it looks y'all. like, like right? I have no right. idea. But we say y'all a lot, so I'm not surprised to hear that one. Um, Absolutely. And, and yeah. Real quickly, like the, the reason for. Well, first of all, I had just taken the next sit from the company I was with, and so owning a basketball team is something I've always wanted to do. Um, what was cool is that it was a platform uh, from a pro- professional sports perspective to start to have conversation around cannabis and, and, and how it's allowed and if it's allowed at a professional level uh, and in what capacity it could be used as long as it's not detrimental to the team, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, so much so that we had Sticky on our jersey, um, which, you know, hasn't been able to be the case in any other professional league, at least to my knowledge, right? Um, And so really just trying to break down that stigma related to cannabis and professional athletes, whether it's recreation or medical or ailment use or mental use or otherwise, um, a lot lot of players are starting to come out to talk about it after their retirement. Um, So the thought process is how do we start to break the stigma within the professional game on top of People like Megatron, Calvin Johnson, Al Harrington, et cetera, um, that are coming out and saying, no, we really need to change the conversation. You know what I mean? That's awesome. Yeah, Chris, basically here making a pitch for bringing you back on sooner than later. I really want to bring you back on and have this conversation. You know, I love sports and I love cannabis. I love the intersection. Um, But look, I really appreciate you joining us here today. Uh, We're going to go ahead and wrap up now. But um, I'm really looking forward to continuing this conversation with you and, and everything that you're doing for the industry. Um, and, and just getting to getting to know you personally as well. So yeah, and th- uh, yeah. thank you, thank you for 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 what you do, Vince as well. NCIA is a platform. Really important that we continue to have these types of conversations. Uh, if we aren't talking about it, um, then we don't we we can't build our own table and or have a seat at the table, right? So so thank you for the platform and your commitment to doing so. Um, and you know we work together on a number of things, but I look forward to seeing more from. You. Absolutely awesome and. Um, on that note, a couple of things real quick here. One, I want to thank Khadijah Adams uh, for hosting the the, the Cancel Airport the last couple of seasons, helping us get through really like it's been a turbulent couple of years with the pandemic and everything else. So really appreciate Khadijah. Uh, we wouldn't be here still with the show going on if it wasn't for Khadijah taking the helm the last couple of years. Yeah. The other thing I want to note, uh, you know, in, in homage of Black History Month, you know, Chris's shirt here, uh, paying nod to that as well. Uh, the NCIA, uh, our lobby days is in May of this year. I hope you'll join us in May at lobby days. But for this month, anybody sponsoring Lobby Days in any capacity, uh, you'll get all the normal bells and whistles of all the sponsorship that comes along with sponsoring Lobby Days. And also, the dollars that we raise this month will go specifically to our DEI delegation. That's yeah. how we helped to uh, provide travel stipends to uh, our equity members that to help bring them out to D.C. and advocate uh, you know, for, for really an equitable industry, as well as provide you know, solid talking points and you know, help the whole organization as a whole understand equity better, not just simply so we have five people in the corner that are kind of like talking about equity, but so that the organization as a whole can really understand what this is and how we need to advocate for this. We're looking to double our uh, delegation from last year. We had six folks last year. We're looking to do 12 this year. Uh, And, you know, so if you're watching this and you want to throw down and help contribute to that, go ahead and sponsor Lobby Days. Go ahead and get in touch with us. 
and know that your dollars will go directly towards that. With that said, then, appreciate everybody here tuning in. It's going to be a great season here. Uh, season four is going to be awesome, or he is. It's a great way to kick off the year. Thanks again, Chris. Thanks again, Vince. Everybody have a wonderful day, wonderful rest of your week, whatever day of the week it is that you're listening to this on. Take it easy and talk soon. Bye, everybody. The Cannabis Minority Report is a production of the National Cannabis Industry Association. Hosted by Mike Lamuto, directed by Vince Chandler. Our producers are Bethany Moore and Aaron Smith. And our executive producers are Vince Chandler and Mike Lamuto.